Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 910. This episode brought to you by Squarespace uh, with beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website in just a few clicks. Now... Uh, I understand that a lot of young people are using this internet thing to... What's that? Well, it's sort of like a a largely hate-filled machine that uh, does have some positive... uh, Hate-filled machine. (laughs) (laughs) What was the Nine Inch Nails? That was a pretty hate machine. The internet's a pretty hate machine. But that's why you have to make it a happy, positive machine by making your own thing, putting some positivity in the world. Use Squarespace. They have great analytics to help you grow in real time and 24-7 customer support that's there to help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code NERDS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Um, what do you got on the Nerdist Community Corkboard, KT Levine? Got a, I got a couple cool things. Uh, the Austin International Drag Festival will host close to 400 drag performances over the weekend of November 9th to the 12th. Uh, all events can be, a schedule of events can be found here at austindragfest2017.com. And they're going to have lots of performances all throughout the uh, Austin area. So it sounds really cool. So if you're interested in that, uh, go there to find out more info or find out about how to get tickets to go. Also, a uh, super funny comedian, Adam Caton Holland, is recording his uh, Comedy Central album taping this Friday, 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. at Union Hall in New York. Tickets are still available, so go to unionhall.com to find out more info. But that will be super fun, and he's hilarious. Fan- oh, yeah, Adam Caton Holland is yeah. great. Amazing. One of the Growlix guys, yep. been on a Denver comic, been on At Midnight a bunch, uh, when that was still oh, a thing. Sorry, it's unionhallny.com. I had it wrong. Good thing I looked. It's a good <laughs> thing you looked, Katie Levine. Don't even go back and edit the other one. You just leave that in. You know why? Because sometimes there are mistakes. mistakes in life. I'll leave my mistakes. And you made up for it, so that's all right. October 20 and 21, I'll be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego, California, and then November... Uh, 8, 9, 10, I will be at uh, Caroline's in New York for New York Comedy Fest. And then I also have some dates coming up in Portland at Helium, I believe, in December. And then next year, I'm going to do Phoenix, going to do Brea, going to try to make up those Tacoma dates. So uh, I'm going to post all those on my Facebook events page. So just uh, Facebook, I'm uh, Hardwick, uh, slash Hardwick on Facebook, at Hardwick on Facebook. And then it'll, t- you know, there'll be an events page. And you can see all those dates and get ticket links. Fantastic. Um, this episode is Russell Brand, whom I love and now love more. He because so I got great. to hang out with him. <laughs> and he was so great because he had to um, – he was coming from – flew in that morning, raced across town to get here, didn't have a lot of time because he had to go do um, – I think he had to go do Access Hollywood or something. And uh, and he still stretched and uh, gave me the time. And it was still a great interview. He was fucking great. And it really makes me want to have him back on oh, to talk should. longer. We got to have him back on. But um, Russell Brand is promoting his book, Recovery, which uh, I'm sure you will understand is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it's wherever books are sold. It's available now. Uh, Russell Brand. You know him. Look up his stuff. Go see him live if you ever get a chance. He's got a new tour that he's working on. And, uh, and just uh, lo- love, love, love him. This episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. Going to the post office is a drag. A drag. There's lines. People are aggressive. Uh, they're carrying a lot of packages. <laughs> they're not they're, happy they're, to they don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. You don't have to be there. Avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards, envelopes, packages, domestic or international with stamps.com. 
Uh, Stamps.com lets you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, package, class, of mail using your own computer and printer. Click print mail. You're done. Stamps.com never closes, unlike the post office. And you can print literally anything any time of day. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates postage, helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Even discounts you can't get at the post office. All the services of the U.S. Postal Service at your fingertips. Right now, enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com under the promo code NERDIST. You know, I had a per- I have a friend that just got married, and they used Stamps.com to send out all their invites, and they said it was the easiest thing in the world. I thought you were going to say they put stamps on themselves and set themselves <laughs> on their own honeymoon. <laughs> They got one all around the world. They used the scale to weigh themselves. They put (laughs) the appropriate package. They set themselves by the the post box. (laughs) The mail carrier picked them up, threw them in the truck, and then uh, they went uh, via first class mail to uh, exciting destinations. And they came home with like a bunch of stamps from all over the world, all over their bodies. Who needs a passport when you have your body? Never go to the (laughs) post office again. And who needs a passport when you have your body? Yeah. Here's the nurse. <laughs> double down on that. I like yeah. you doubling. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the nurse podcast number 910 with Russell Brand. Katie, roll it. Now entering Nerdist.com. that we have to buzz through this as quickly as possible. So we'll, we, because you have to get to Access Hollywood. And it's amazing that you even came here to begin with. Is because, it? well, yes, because you were literally in New York last night. That's right. We came here. And what's really interesting about it, or interesting or unusual, is that my life has changed quite radically. I'm married and I have a baby. So I've got a baby in my hotel room. It seems sort of like more mad and exotic than my former life 10 years ago when there would have been a heap of strangers cluttering up one corner of the room. It's sort of more bizarre, more of a tangent, more extraordinary that there's a baby and the accoutrements of a baby in the right. house and a wife. You know, I live this different... Uh, it's like a sort of a domestic carnival. It feels like um, it's an, a, a, a massive transition to move from a life that's determined by what you do professionally, being a show-off, to living a domestic life. You know, it's, it's been so bizarre for me. And then so now that I have, have got a work project that I care about that means I go and do press and publicity, I feel like I, I don't want to just go... Like I've been questioning the... Uh, what do I want to say? The wisdom of travelling with my sure. wife and baby the whole time because it's it's difficult. The baby don't like being on an air. Well, it doesn't. You know, the baby's difficult on an airplane potentially. Like a baby in a fuselage is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> oh, I know. When, when you when someone when you sit down and then someone you go, oh, it's going to be a great trip, and someone sits down with a baby, you kind of go, oh. No. You're in that negotiation, and if you yeah. are the baby, if you're the person that's with the baby, you've got to do sort of apologetic expressions. But there's a sort of an, an air of defiance as well, isn't there? Because, well, look, it's a baby. What are you going to do? Yeah. What, gonna, what, what are you supposed to do? Throw it out? <laughs> kill it? I mean, look at our, what are our options. Can we check this? Can we check this baby? Can we just put the baby in. The baby will fit in the overhead bin. Mm. But it's you know, um, this book that you wrote about recovery is interesting. Cause I'm. Three days away from 14 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We're about the same time. Oh, you do that, that right I'm for you? 40, I, I'll be, if I get to December the 13th, yeah. I'll, that'll be 15 years. Congratulations. Thank you. So, so yours is three days. Time. Yeah, three, October 8th. Yes, 14 well done, years. done, man. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting also to hear you talk. How the fuck did he get back in? I don't know. I've started to love this fly a little bit. No, don't kill it. It's bad, bad mood, you. For the well, for the right, show, right here on the wall. what if okay. it curses us? Oh, but that's a horsefly. If I catch him, he's gonna bite me. Those motherfuckers. I have one of those electrified tennis rackets oh, where dude. you swat them and they go. Zzz. But he's fine now where he is. Let's just assume that this is some sort of this is the reincarnated soul of uh, our past. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Carl Jung would say that yes. that it's a physical shadow. And in fact, one of these literal examples in therapy was a woman that dreamt of a scarab beetle, and she was a very materialist woman. And I don't believe in all this stuff. I don't even know why I'm at an analyst. And when she had this dream of the scarab beetle, which in Egyptian mythology is the sign of rebirth, a beetle, the closest one that you could get in an urban environment, sure. hit against the 
window and Jung said, look, synchronicity, this is his theory of the, you know, that word synchronicity is a Jungian word. It comes from Jungian analysis that the psychic experience and the objective material experience are relating to one another somehow. There right. is some communion. So maybe that fly And it also something. explains a lot of the police's early albums. <laughs> Their <laughs> spirits and material world, synchronicity, synchronicity too. But it, but this idea... Sting. Sting, right there, yeah. But this, I, but it, you know, just know, knowing what I know about you and having been a fan of yours for a long time, it, you're seeing how, how I assume your brain works and trying to intellectualize all these crazy emotional things that you went through when you were younger. It, 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 do you feel like you're getting... Do you feel like you have more of a handle on yourself now with that much sobriety and recovery behind you or do you still feel like i don't know you know i feel like i'm loosely tethered to the world i feel that we are all loosely tethered to the world i feel that is perhaps the great challenge of being human and all that any of us are ever discussing is how efficiently we wear our masks but i've certainly in the last few years since getting married to my wife and since becoming a father felt that i have real material connections and a sense of rooting and grounding and that great archetypal idea that in the middle of life you know i'm 42 now the magic number oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, like that this is a point where uh, you either move towards you sort of accept that the conclusion is death and that we're moving towards death now and that if you at that point re- don't accept it if you don't accept your life i think great crisis can come to you you know this is found these themes are found in the work of dante and star wars (laughs) we're at that point we're midway down the path and i think i had a sort of a crisis i had a sense of like oh there was this moment i woke up one day and like you know i'm in a program so i have a mentor you know someone further down the path than me and i said to him i feel like i could walk away from everything in my life everything i feel i could walk away from the people i know the house that i live in the career i feel like i could pile my clothes up on the shore and just walk into the sea he goes this is a natural thing to feel at your age it's good go with it experience this thing and a lot of things did change i mean i did a slightly mad thing that i still i'm only just now starting to realize the ramifications of i changed my phone number and only told about 10 people (laughs) (laughs) and are you i was thinking about doing that too have you has it been freeing and liberating for you it has been and like you know for two years like you know i've been living in the country by a river with my wife I've got chickens I sort of did like the ISIS version of domesticity sure chickens bees like you know, this is it the most extreme version of this I'm li- going by the book you know and, but because I'm sort of sort of kind of vegan interested I don't take the chickens eggs now sure the bees that they're all laid up with honey and, and, and anyway so over this couple of year period I've been reborn as a matter of fact and started to evaluate what are the things I like I like doing stand up I don't want to be sort of still in the sonic boom of my addiction, pursuing fame and money and sex and those things. I need to have a different connection. Like most of us that are in recovery, we start to think, well, what is it we were looking for in the first place? So, yeah, I got rid of my phone. I only kept about 10 people. So it's like, you know, lost probably a lot of good celebrity contacts in in that call. (laughs) I think, God, I've probably had phone calls that would have been fascinating. Maybe Spielberg has been texting you for months. (laughs) He's like, I don't know why Russell Wilson. You'd imagine that if he was serious, like that he would go for another channel, would he? I mean, maybe, maybe, or maybe he's just like, no, I just only text people now. I don't, I don't like I don't this guy's it. attitude. Someone <laughs> like else will play ET. Yeah, take that, Spielberg. <laughs> take that. But it, but you know, in in talking to people that are that have had more years of recovery, who are older and wiser, and they say, yeah. you know, what, what's important to realize is that you're not important. Yeah. In, in the sense that. You know, because we tend to, with this dark gift that we have been given, either environmentally or or through physiology, um, tend to focus on ourselves a lot. There's a lot of narcissism. There's a lot. And so sort of realizing like, oh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm just not that, you know, I'm just a part of this machine. It's not a big deal. Yes, I think you're right. Self-centeredness is the determining component of addiction and, and I think is the axis for where addiction could be applied to everybody because the kind of idea that we live our lives in individually, egoically, that's not just addicts, that's everyone. We're encouraged to 
to think through consumer models well your life is your life you live then you die if you don't have some kind of transcendent connection even if that's through a humanist ideology such as i don't know socialism or collectivism my brothers my community my sisters is important then i think the default position that we arrive at as you say uh, whether it's environmentally or uh, physiologically, is a kind of survivalist, a sort of a primordial I must survive. And I think our culture is very good at augmenting that. Buy stuff then, just buy stuff, uh, have sex with stuff, right. <laughs> eat stuff. <laughs> yeah, the world becomes commodities. We can make anything fuckable. We can shape anything so that you can fuck it, just in yeah. case you want to know. <laughs> and, the internet, and the internet will deliver that to... The internet will literally ship anything for you to fuck it. Like, that is the craziest... We live like weird... Wizards now, weird sex wizards. We're sex wizards. My friend, like I was, I had this realization. Like I was, like, I, 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 this must have been in a terrible moment of desperate loneliness because the two things I was thinking is, and I was alone, literally alone, and I was thinking my house needs to be cleaned, and I'm lonely and need conjugal comfort, and and I felt like, is there a cleaning service that offers as an, a, a, an appendage sort of sexual favors? And I like googled it. And there was. Of course there was. <laughs> and I said to my friend, and my friend goes, my God, he goes, what a world we live in. No matter what feeling you're experiencing, there's someone that's going to make money out of it. I mean, it is, yeah, it sounds like a Black Mirror episode, too. <laughs> but it, but, but, but it, is, it is sort of, we, are, we live in an addict's utopia because there's any, I think a lot of addiction is about, um, uh, you know, on the, on the emotional side, not distracting yourself from not having to deal or take responsibility for, for anything. So you're constantly distracting whether it's gaming or sex or mm. alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, workaholism. Mm. And uh, because we just – we can't process and deal with the amount of anxiety and, and all the things that – are all the darkness that's in us. So we just keep going outward for external distractions. I think you're right. We've sort of lost the ability to sit – and B, and like the reason I need a program is because it precisely because it's prescriptive, and the thing that I've arrived at is a sort of a quite a, a, an easy and succinct aphorism is we don't choose between a program and no program, we choose between a conscious program and an unconscious program. If I'm not consciously working my program, I'm being worked by my right. unconscious program. Right. I think everybody's like that. I think like that that continual for, forward momentum of wanting to grab at stuff, of being unable to just sit down and be alone in a room. I think that that is a condition of our time, that we're in this perpetual motion, I want this, I need this, like terrified to just stop for a moment. And like, you know, step 11, conscious contact with a higher power of understanding and prayer and meditation to know ourselves better, to know ourselves and others better. If I don't have that as part of my life, my natural tendency is towards extreme materialism and extreme consuming. Sure sensuality and pleasure and as you said earlier chris total self-centeredness right just all i care about is what i want and i have to trick myself into all right well chris is a human being he's gonna have concerns perhaps i could do something for him And, and then if i do that i actually start to feel better but i have to be like reminded of it continually i don't default to that no and i also it's interesting you know i to hear you even say, you know, we lead our lives unconsciously or consciously, I think most people don't even realize that. I think most people just sort of feel like they're passengers in this in life and that they don't really have a and, – and when someone has the realization of like, oh, actually, I can make conscious decisions – that can affect, you know, the course of my life rather than just feeling like, ah, the universe is just bending me over and fucking me again, like just fucking me all the way down the pathway. It's a lovely image. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about it today because I I was thinking about my dad would always say like, oh, you know, the older you get, the weeks turn into months. I mean, the years turn into months and the months turn into weeks. Like time moves so fast. And I kind of thought like, as you get older, from our perception, time is conical and sort of goes like a funnel. You know, like mm. a, like a, you know those coins where they spin down the funnel. And as it gets nearer the end, it spins faster and faster and faster and faster. Well, that's good. So maybe time is not a fundamental qual- a quantity of the universe, but like a fundamental force that just pulls us 
in one direction, and we are just holding on, <laughs> just like you see the fingernail marks as we're being scraped through this this time cone. Is that crazy? Because I don't smoke weed, and that's the weediest thing I've ever said in my life. It's a beautiful and horrible image. <laughs> it really, really worked. It worked too well. I didn't like it. I didn't like the idea of time as a negative force with an agenda, and time and the agenda of time being death. I didn't. I didn't like that as time's objective, but it was good. And also, I mean, that's not that's not just cuckoo, spooky, frou frou, claptrap. Because that's the part of the theory of relativity is right. that time alters in relationship to, to other forces, right. gravitational pull for one thing. And certainly, yeah, like as you get older, your relationship with time changes. And like we were saying earlier, the awareness of death becomes more fundamental and more real. So I suppose what all of this leads to for me, mate, is a sense of, and, and this is like my, like the book I've written starts with the idea of you're going to, like, let's just start here. You're going to fucking die. So let's invite that into the room and sure. start accepting it as a condition. Right, now that we've accepted that, how does that change the perspective of what you're going to be doing with your limited time here? Because you are able, as you just said, to make conscious choices. Now, like, I can't... If, if my life is just sort of the unconscious fear of being dragged down that sort of conical, terrible time tunnel that you just gave us the gift of, <laughs> then, uh, then I, I'm going to be led by fear. So I need some aspect of myself that is, is about tr- the transcendent, is about impermanence. And I can sort of experience that through meditation, through prayer i kind of experienced it through drugs i you know drugs gave me cessation of fear and terror Mm -hmm. they gave me a kind of anesthetic but also they somehow met the idea that uh, you know look at the the idioms around drugs get off your head out of your mind off your face lose yourself right it's like the language is telling you that it's a kind of spiritual experience that we're looking for in a culture that doesn't provide us with spiritual experiences anymore because it wants us to be led by baser material things and when in yoga and in many scriptures they talk about age of darkness the Kali Yurt for me this age of darkness is we were concerned only with the gross things with the material things the things that could be understood through the senses the limitless light of consciousness was excluded and ignored and it's weird to be in your country at the moment mate because in airports and on street corners the darkness is it's it's fathomable oh yeah it's frightening a bit but is it what's the tone over across the pond? I mean, you're not... I wouldn't say you're experiencing what we're experiencing. But it's bliss. Have... It's utopia. We've really cracked it. <laughs> Children all good now. All of, good. All cu- of all hues <laughs> dance down the street hand in hand. It's, one, it's, it's just one big Wonka factory over <laughs> there. Right? You're just, you're just uh, sailing your way through rivers of chocolate. and. Uh, yeah. But, you know... Although uh, that was run on slave labor, that oh, chocolate yes. factory. Oh, no, yes. You're absolutely right. It actually um, was. Um, I don't think they wanted to be there. And no, the idea and of that course, he said he rescued... I just rescued you yeah. guys from Oompa Loompa Land. Yes. Oh, You're... I'm a candy imperialist. Did I not mention that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Willy Wonka's anything other than a sort of an icon of post-colonial hate. <laughs> a lot of kids probably died in that factory, and he was t- totally didn't even bat an eye. I mean, I don't think it went that well for the sort of, like, well, Charlie aside. I mean, Mike Tight TV, I think, gets shrunk. Yeah. Augustus Gloop, terrible things happened to him. One of them, t- I mean, like... I- Hold on a minute! Can't we get an employment agency involved? Vi- Vi- violet blows up into a blue ba- into a violet into a big blueberry. Yeah. If you want someone to run your chocolate factory, go to a recruitment agency. <laughs> Don't invite children in for a secret tour. <laughs> you imagine if you said, hey, I'm just going to have a bunch of kids come over to my house for a bit and stay for a while, and eh, maybe one, I'll give them one of my company. People are like, well, you definitely should be arrested because whatever you're up to is not cool. Or Step okay. this way, sir. Put your hands where I can see them. <laughs> no. What, what, me, it's what, chocolate. I, it's, no, no, I'm eccentric. <laughs> Where's my cane? <laughs> he does the flippity-flappity thing. <laughs> but but you know I I I've always been curious for you because about about the tapestry of your life the last handful of years because you know with comedy obviously you want to become more well known so people know to come see you mm. but I do feel like with comedy there's a per- certain point where fame isn't helpful it's like you mm. never really want to be more famous than funny so you're always trying to stay ahead of that and you Ooh. certainly have stayed ahead of that curve but were you ever worried where it's like when your life got weird and tabloidy where you're like fuck I, can I just be a comic can I just tell jokes I was so excited by the enormity of fame that I was unable to be as circumspect as to see the likely consequences of, of it on me as a 
artist or performer or however you would term it in your own language as a sure. fellow comic. But like I've always been fixated upon external phenomena. Like I, when I first got famous in my country, it was like I, I sort of equated fame prior to having it with redemption a bit. I felt like before, because I think I was coming from a place spiritually or emotionally, however, uh, it's been pretty worthless and low. Like I saw fame as I'll be all right then. I'll be on the other side. As a boy, I sat too close to the TV, you know, like most kids. Just move away from that TV, you'll get square eyes. And I feel like I wanted to be in there, you know. It was my comforter, it was my right. friend. And so, like, being famous meant I'm not me no more. I'm redeemed, I'm free. Right. And so when all of those things happened tabloidy, sensationalist, vivid things. I weren't really able to be objective like that, although I was aware of toxicity. I wasn't thinking, God, this is actually brilliant, but but I wasn't able to go, hmm, this is going to affect my ability to connect with an audience. And actually, what I I did have as a comic, hopefully, the dexterity to sort of be able to go, right, this is happening to me. What I felt like when at the sort of height of celebrity excitement, I was still able to go, fucking hell, this is mental because I'm still me. None of this is real. These things that are being said about me, wow, this is extraordinary. Um, I still felt that it applied to things that I recognised from early life, being at school and not being popular at school and then suddenly feeling popular at school. Like, wow, I'm allowed to go out with attractive girls now. This is unbelievable. (laughs) How has this happened? Yeah, it's like the keys to the chocolate factory. It's like getting in there, you know. And so... You're right about that fame funny curve because a comic needs to be abstract, a comic needs to be an observer. But uh, like a lot of people think, and I'll give you the two examples Osho, that, that guru guy, and Christ. I, <laughs> you remember him from the Bible. He's one of the main ones, Chris. <laughs> I think your name is related. He's a lead. I got a lead in the Bible. <laughs> Don't blow this now. Fuck, I, do, I could do this at home. Can I just do it one more time? Can I just do it one more time? Can we roll the tape hey, again? what's this bit where I go out on the crucifixion? Okay, you can come back for one little special guest appearance three days later. We're going to need you in three days. <laughs> really? I gotta... And then it's over. Both. Sorry, it's present in the sort of form of a holy Keep ghost. Keep your wardrobe for three days, and then can, can we dye your hair blonde? We're going to need to dye your hair blonde for America. Doesn't seem very realistic. <laughs> um, like Osho says, like uh, that through self-obsession you can arrive at a kind of utopia. Like because I suppose that there's something universal about all of our experience of being self. And that thing where it says the way to heaven is through me in uh, you know one of the gospels. I don't know which one? I'm not a, you know I'm not a hermeneutics guy. He the way to heaven is through me my friend said to me perhaps it means not maybe it's a misinterpretation the way to heaven is through I me yeah right through me he's saying from the first person point of view yeah yeah oh that's really awesome like you can reach paradise through self if you can transcend the self your material self if you can ascend from the crucifix of space time the flesh man dies and you become the enlightened man the awakened man or human so so for me even when I'm in a sort of a, a situation that's about total self-centeredness, I'm thinking, how is this universal? There is a universe there. Like the point of all art, surely, is to try to reach through, whether it's like a brilliant Francis Bacon painting or some, I don't know, Sylvia Plath poem. You sort of sense like, oh, it's reaching to me. I'm not alone in this abyss. So I think that through comedy, even if you are ensconced in a lot of tabloid ephemera and MTV glitter, you can sort of go, yeah, but. I'm me, and I know that I'm me. This is so weird. (laughs) And then sometimes I'm sure it feels like it's that sort of third-person perspective dream version where you're like, I see me doing stuff, but I don't know if that's me in there. And didn't I always had that anyway. I had that when I was doing weird stuff at school. Like, I used to, like, have this thing of, like, oh, I definitely shouldn't flip this desk over now because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> oh, no, look, I'm showing it. <laughs> yeah, and isn't that... Part? I don't know why I'm doing this either. <laughs> We're all baffled right now. <laughs> A round of applause for me, everyone. <laughs> done so well there like I was always and isn't that something that's a central Chris about comedy that comedy is the peering round the veneer of reality and sort of saying none of this is real this right. is not real we're all going to die it doesn't mean anything and I sort of used to feel that in moments of crisis I remember once being in a treatment centre for sexual addiction oh yeah and there was this exercise you did where you had to write these letters to your parents you know like and mine I, I was incapable of doing stuff like that without grandiosity so these letters were sort of full of this deep rich language 
language of loathing. And as I was reading them out, the actual therapeutic exercise worked. You know, it wasn't you know, like a lot of those things you think, oh, well, I'll do it because you've told me to, but I don't see how this is going to have any effect on my inner psyche. But anyway, I read this letter to my stepdad, my mother, my father. And by the end of it, it had, um, like some sort of spell, it had induced in me this state of such deep rage that I began to see the relationship between sexual toxicity and um, my early life conditions, that sex was about personal empowerment and that there was a, a, an element of malevolence in my sexuality that I sort of never really experienced outside of that moment. And I, at the end of the exercise, the other sex addicts around the room in a semicircle sort of looking at me. I sort of feel like some lizard man as if my tongue is four foot long and black and like my eyes are flashing and a gay guy in there later told me that I did look gorgeous. So I got some affirmation <laughs> out of it. And like they said, make a noise, they said, the therapist with some ridiculous name, Travis Flowers, I believe he was called, make a noise that embodies what you're feeling right now. And I went, ah, and the roar came forth and it poured out of me like a waterfall. And I turned around and I picked up the chair I was sitting on and in slow motion smashed it against the wall. And then I watched in slow motion as sort of different people from the unit come in and people sort of could get hold of me. And at this point I'm detached and disembodied and I'm just watching the thing, right? Hmm, this is weird that you've done this. There will be consequences now. <laughs> then I'm taken to a hospital in Philadelphia and I'm assessed and I'm in this mental unit and people are there in those gowns with no trousers and pants on and you see the underside of American life that healthcare is not properly supported and people are falling over and it seems all broken. I think, how am I going to get out of this little jam, you know? And so whether it's an extreme uh, and awful thing like school or an institution or a glamorous thing like MTV this sense that there's some satellite self that floats out and looks back and isn't really that at all I've always had that so that has helped me in situations where it's like, oh, wow, you're super famous now. It's always helped me to maintain ordinariness because like most addicts, sometimes I think I'm better than everyone and a lot of time I feel like I'm worthless and worse than anyone. So it's all of it is outside. Yeah, well, it's not, and I think it's comforting for people to hear you say that because then they feel like, oh, I'm not so weird if I feel that way. I mean, it's almost like a, that detachment that you're talking about, I sort of think of as like a spacewalk where, you know, it's like when the astronaut goes out to fix the ISS and they sort of float out and they're outside of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe part of that, when you're, when you're detached from yourself, like maybe it's a repair mode, mm-hmm. you know, so that you can come back in and deal with and, and have the tools to properly deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. It's a nice metaphor as well. And, but I feel, isn't it like that accepted in neurology, psychoanalysts, that the self is a kind of construct that it's not really there at all it is just biochemistry and memory and the consciousness that witnesses thoughts and feelings is another aspect of self you know self with a capital s self with a small s you know like that that there is more to uh, we in our time we believe that the thinking mind is the self that when you close your eyes and you try to meditate you're like oh I should do this I want that oh come on I'm supposed to be meditating I hate that thing that happened oh I want that I'm hungry you know we think of that as the self but that in certain spiritual and I think psychoanalytical and indeed neurological traditions is but one aspect that's just one neurological circuit that loop of cognitive static and I think through meditation through work in a program you start to identify with another aspect of yourself and you're freed from that so perhaps the spacewalk is a truer version of the self liberated from the unit from the craft sure. that of you have constructed sure uh, I also I, I have an eye on the clock because I know that you have to get to um Access Hollywood. Why so, don't we just stay in here until something happens? <laughs> and, and if you feel like you've not got enough time, I'll come back. You know? I would love to have you come because even even just on in, this trip, you could do it in like you know we could bolt it together. I mean, I, I, like I'm really enjoying. Talking I'm to enjoying you. having you here rush. too, and it's the sort of thing like, oh fuck, I wish we had hours to talk because it it uh, it it's so fun to. I mean, I say fun, but it you know it, to, to meet other people who have the same kind who speak the same language we speak we speak the same language and when you meet other people in recovery uh, and they've got some time behind them or even even new recovery mm. people and you're like you're in you're going to do it you wait till you get you know i get excited for people cuz i go it feels like a mess now it just feels like someone just dropped a pile of spaghetti in your lap mm. but you'll start sorting it out and pretty soon you'll be able to reform it you know and then hold it mm. and so you're i still going to have bolognese in your pubes <laughs> <laughs> 
was there before. <laughs> I, 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 to, to be fair, Hold that on was a minute. <laughs> that was already. This was mushroom pasta. <laughs> was the, that was the Italian Willy Wonka in the pasta factory. Like, hey, come in this sweet minute the pasta. Oh, he's so dirty. But uh, but um, I, I want to know how becoming a father. As I look ahead, in about a year, I will become a father. And having come through everything that you've come through... How do you know that? The gestation period is nine months. Uh, yes, that's You're true. You're planning one. Well, I'm a, very, I'm a control freak. Uh. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I've already got a, <laughs> already got a clock. Controlling <laughs> the periods of gestation. You're controlling the periods of gestation, yeah. It's, uh, you know, she's... Uh, She's got an embryo. Yeah. It's, it's, don't worry about it. We've got lots of embryos. Uh, but uh, we're planning on in about a year. Mm. And did this did this bring you closer into yourself when you did you have that experience when you saw your baby for the first time? Like now I get it, or now I feel more connected to everything. Or did you have to work to stay in your conscious self with that process? Both of those things, really. I mean, while my wife was pregnant, pregnancy seems like it goes on for a very, very, very long while. It just is this epoch right. of pregnancy. I'm right about the birth in the conclusive chapter of the book because it's difficult not to see it as a climax and as a culmination of life. And in a very literal way, it is because the idea of myself as somehow a conclusion, this idea of self-centeredness that we talk about, is undermined entirely by the fact that I'm not. I'm just a vessel for this other human being that's now here. So really, I'm just some guy shuffling around in the corridor now, waiting for my daughter to be old enough to carry on with life. Like, my, I am not the apex of my own existence. Now, that's really easy to put into words. But as an experience, that moment of lay, like. Pregnancy is all about, of course, reflection and incubation. And it's like you're incubating the person you're going to become as a father while your partner is incubating the child. Mm -hmm. And when you go, like in our case, we went to a midwife-led NHS hospital in London, England, not far from where we live. And when we get there and my wife transformed from the kind of gentle person, like I'm fascinated by these kind of transitions, these transitions between worlds and realms, these transitions between character. She changed in the process of labour. Because she actually, what she did brilliantly, my wife, is she was well conscious about what birth was. She learned about it. She didn't just go, oh, I'll just ignore that until, like, my, until my, my vagina is torn <laughs> apart by an internal intruder. She read loads. She read about all these things called hypnobirthing and stuff. So, like, she was going, like, you know, and like she was talking. There was this brilliant bit that she learned about where it was about the language around birth. Like, you know, like, because. And she was saying like that the sensation, like they, the, the language is particular. Instead of like tearing, isn't really a physical word. So they were saying like this: you will feel burning, you may feel aching. Like there were sort of words that were very particular to the actual experience. So by the time that she was going into labour, she was very awake to what it was likely to be. She had mapped out what she was likely to experience. And you can never fully prepare for it, but to just watch it as a man is you know you're going into this female world. You are peripheral. You are in the cave. It's a thing for women birth. And there's a big argument that the whole medicalization of childbirth has been sort of patriarchy saying, no, we'll dominate this too. And, and on a more practical level, of course, Infant mortality has been radically reduced. Of course, yes. so there is we, definitely we do an that upside. A bit better, yeah, that part, that part's <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, they did well there, <laughs> but like, um, but like, it's a female space, you know. And we went in there, and the midwives are such powerful, powerful women. And my girlfriend, as she was then, turns into nature. You see that that our cognizant identity, me as Russell, you as Chris, is just some flotsam and jetsam floating on the surface of an ocean of humanity. And when you are your primal self, you're accessing what you really are, what we really are. And our real identity is a collective identity, not an individual identity. And that's why individualism is such a flawed concept. You watch her become woman as an objective thing, not Laura, my girlfriend. Right. And for me, what I go through, because I'm a fast thinky type guy, is like, oh my god, like, it's sort of, it's, I'm, I've never taken ayahuasca, god knows I want to, and like, it's, it was, like, it flipped me out, the thought goes so fast, like, oh my god, this is actually happening, it's actually happening, something that's so carnal, so primal, but somehow so divine, and, uh, given that it's a cliche birth, 
Nothing prepares you for the actual moment of seeing a human head come out of someone you know's vagina. It's like, oh my, how is that happening? <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> like, how big is it? Suddenly, so many questions. How? What's the actual size of a baby? Oh my god, how big can this fucking hole get? <laughs> then it flops. I mean, it's so material. It's so flesh. It's so we're apes. We're dirty, stinking apes in a wood, in a cave. And then, but also. There's all this divine underscoring in the background. It lollops out like some sort of amphibian thing. And what the thing that most got me, Chris, was that the difference between... It seemed at first like a really good special effect. It seemed like a baby in a movie, almost like that baby in Trainspotting on the roof. Oh, yeah. And then before, it, wasn't, it was just in the water, moving just because it was in water. And then my wife picked her up and her eyes opened, the baby's eyes opened. <laughs> and she came online and it was like consciousness life is consciousness life is not matter life is consciousness and when her eyes opened something went on in her something went on in me and I've not come down from it it sort of hit me with some I don't know what it is hormones or what it is it hit me with something that's not gone away powerful visceral of the body and of the mind too and I just wanted to protect her I wanted everyone at arm's length away from her it was a a completely new territory in me new territories of protectiveness new territories of love it's just and it's never gone away of course I can sort of drift back into I'm Russell I want to look at my phone now but but like it's generally speaking it's a transcendent, life-shattering and spiritual experience. Cut to you on the airplane. It's a fucking baby. What, am I, what do you want me to do? <laughs> well, it's going to make noise. I can't drug it. You can't yeah. drug it. But look, there's allergy meds, but I don't know. It's morally wrong. <laughs> I'm hoping that it didn't get the... Oh, they, are they waiting? Oh, look, there's a person. Oh, we got a five. Oh, there's a person. Okay, we got the five. The five H- is How good. long have we done? 35. We've done 35. So five, for another five, we've done 40. We've done 40, yeah. Which is, which is enough to do a... You know, when you got here and your team was like, I think you can only do this for 25 minutes. I was like, oh, no, we don't, the point we've in never that? done it. But 40 minutes is acceptable. And please know that you are welcome to come back anytime you will make time for it. Because it's, it's already been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank um, you. But uh, I, went to, uh, I went to see Steve Martin and Martin Short in Las Vegas. They do a show. Wow. They, tra- they do a show together. They travel with. And, uh, uh, and I'd only just met Steve. And he's fucking the coolest guy. And he told the story on stage about you because they're telling stories. Do you know what story? No. He's, Steve Meyer's got a story about me. He's got a story about you that he told on stage with Martin Short. They were kind of telling, you know, Hollywood stories. And he said, he said, I want to tell you the story of the fastest ad lib I've ever heard. He said it was at an Oscar party, probably, probably the Vanity Fair party. And yeah. he was... He was leaving and you were going in and he said, oh, we've never met before. Uh, I'm just leaving as you're coming in. And he said, you instantly leaned in and go, it's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought it was like the greatest ad lib he had ever, ever heard. Well, it was good, but it was, it was sadly inaccurate because <laughs> I haven't gone on to make the jerk. <laughs> just simply drifted off to think a lot about meaning. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad that Steve Martin remembers it and is not going, turns out that Russell's subsequent film career was unremarkable. <laughs> you get a call from him. Hey, remember when you said that thing? Shut up, shut up! <laughs> what How about you in like- Roxanne? That, I mean, you've made compromises. Come on! <laughs> what about my blue heaven? What about my blue heaven? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was really, it was really cool because he, it, there was, there was admiration, there was such admiration in his voice and it was, and I, and I was creatively jealous, not in a negative way, but a, like, what a fucking awesome place to occupy in this guy's mind. You wow, know? yeah, that is good. I live in Steve Martin's mind in a good way. In a good way. Oh, thank Did, you for that. Is that now? I would imagine you know years ago, Russell would hearing something like that cause you to become destructive. In other words. Is that a kind of an excitement or something to contain where you have to go distract yourself from it? Or are you able to appreciate those moments as like, that's really cool. I can appreciate that from from my point of view. Well, I like it when I hear you say it. I like the idea that Steve Martin's saying that on stage. This other thing happened to me when I first got famous. Like uh, Morrissey, I'm a big Smiths fan. Oh, yeah. And Morrissey, like, 
to people, mates of mine were at a Morrissey gig, and I'd only been famous about 15 seconds on talk shows in the UK and for, for early tabloid exploits. And Morrissey went on stage, and there's normally a bit halfway through the gig where Morrissey introduces his band. He goes, and so and so, we have some drums, and we have Mitch Mitchell here, and he just sort of like goes through his band. And then he went, and I'm Russell Brand. And oh, like, shit! Morrissey's introducing himself as me. I was sort of all sort of blown away about it, but I'm always astonished by how little, hmm, what do I want to say, collateral... <laughs> you can get from those things you know you sort of it's like it's really lovely that you say that and it's sort of beautiful and I'm grateful for it but there's almost immediately afterwards a sort of a lachrymose feeling of teariness that ah but it's I can't do anything with that like that that's not gonna solve me and what that takes me to is the sense that I have to be inner resourced I have to be independently responsible for my spiritual state now that's not that i'm not connected to other people as i said in that big birth diatribe we are all connected to one another we are one another and the the, the separation between us i truly believe is a, a very potent and effective illusion but like i have to be responsible for my own well-being like if i my particular type of personality if i start sourcing feeling good on the steve martin anecdote i'll find myself alone in some terrible moment trying to wrap myself in it somehow right. and it not being able to bind me together right I can only get it from the inside so I like it it couldn't I don't know if there was ever yeah sometimes there was there's times when people would say something good about me and I think oh really that means I can act like a right cunt <laughs> <laughs> oh I am well, why am I talking to you then I am great <laughs> that happened to me at, when that most notable example of that was like when I first got a gig at MTV UK like, like sort of I went I was doing stand up at Edinburgh MTV talent scout people saw me my lovely friend Andy Milligan he gave me a job on a like late night cable show UK specific dance floor charts it was not a big deal at all 500 quid a show which to me was like, like oh my god like I was holding quivering great ducats <laughs> like I had pirate swag in my hands you know and like well, they, they, I remember going to the office going from like sort of so humble like the elephant man bowing and scraping oh, thank you thank you in like in one second to where's my fucking taxi right. like about like in a moment just from worthlessness and gratitude to total satiation and becoming a Tony Montana in the right. hot tub with a machine gun and a pile of coke. In front of a giant painting of yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 like in like, a second. So, like, and I think perhaps this is one of the things of the extreme addict. We occupy this giant concertina of ego and sort of despair, of grandeur and worthlessness. And so for me, I have to you know, in recognise the transience and temporary nature of any little bars that I get from a thing. You know, obviously you tell me that, a chemical goes off, oh, I feel good. And like the book is about a simple way of staying connected to who you really are and the simple message of by being like kind to one another and being kind to ourselves, the programme that you work and I work, it posits you in a place where... You can stand to be human. You can stand the idea that you're going to die. I can stand the idea that off she goes, my daughter, into a future that I will never see without me. And I'm going to have to live with that. Like every human before that's ever had children has to live with it. But I think so many, so much of the time we live with it by ignoring it, <laughs> by not addressing it. But I think that there is a beauty in it somehow. Yeah, and also just thinking about when your daughter's older and whenever she tries to date, you're going to be like, no, because <laughs> I know what guys do. I'm, what I'm trying to do is like, I'm hoping by the time she starts to attach to things, I'm giving her, right, do you, like, I don't, I wonder what her, I hope she's clever, because I'm going to be sort of saying, no, do you think you want that iPad, but do you? Do you want the <laughs> iPad? You think you want to go with that guy, but is he not just a shadow of me? Hmm, think, Mabel, think. Perhaps she's, I don't know, man. It's very possible the teenagers don't have that ability to reflect quite yet, uh, as they are hormone bubbles. You're right, and apparently, according to recent uh, neurological studies, there's a part of the brain that don't even develop to they're 25 or something so you're just talking to someone that doesn't have that you know you're trying to describe colour to someone who can't see so it's like they're not ever going to get it so hence the frustration you're just you're, you're wanting them to open their mouth and you're just throwing throwing little Cheetos but their mouths are closed and the Cheetos are just <laughs> off their face you're like nothing's getting in it's not getting in 
Um, I feel like I need to. Uh, it's we we did we absolutely did it, and I don't want you to be late for your thing because uh, I feel I would just feel bad if you were. And that it's was going to be a vertigo whip for me going from this level of openness to access Hollywood, where I imagine it'd be <laughs> like a five minute segment fielding questions about Casey Perry. <laughs> it's going to be tough in there, Chris. Still, oh my god! No. I mean, that's that. I'm sure that's the the publicity gift that never stops giving. Like, <laughs> You know, I uh, have a baby now, and uh, yes, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yes. Now, <laughs> so these shoes you wore to this, Jesus Christ, Some recovery, please. Yeah, I, I, I took it. I took the deal. I took the deal, and I don't mean with particular regard to getting married. I mean in celebrity in general. Will you promote my book, Recovery? Absolutely. But the book, the, the book is available now. Is it available now? It's out in your country, America. Yes, Recovery is the book. Did you do the audio version? Did you read? Yeah, the audio version? and I enjoyed that. And you can imagine me showing off in that booth. I think it's so important when you when a comic writes a book that if you read the book, you also listen to the audio version so that you can hear how the material is supposed to be presented from that performative level yeah you're so right so I, I really hope uh, I'm sure people can find that on Audible or whatever it is but this has been so great talking to you I was also making cuts actually while I was reading it oh I you like, did I was like, oh no that's not good why did I say that and like, so subsequent editions have got bits taken why out. didn't I tour this book and workshop it then I could have finished the book yeah so this is our art form we are oral uh, we're oral artists as opposed to written perhaps and you're starting your new you're starting a new show in England pretty soon are you not I'm doing I'm touring I'm doing this massive long three nights so I do a, this new way of touring Touring, it's really brilliant. I do three shows a week, and my country's only little, so I can travel back. And when if it's far, my baby and my wife come with yeah. me. I have to keep the domesticity with me in a little caravan, so my mad mind doesn't just go ding 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 ding, ding dancing off into right. the world with a flute. And you know what that flute is? <laughs> so like um yeah so, so like um yeah so like uh, I am too, I two or three nights a week in the in the UK. It's a really nice way of doing it, rather than that the the road the road. Yes. Know. So, uh, know yourself, get to know yourself, know that you can be a conscious pilot of your own spiritual machine, stay out of the Wonka factory. Yeah, get uh, out of there. <laughs> that guy, don't trust him. It's, he's not running it according to any health and safety standards. Slave labor, it's weird. Uh, but thanks, man. It was really good to see you. Lovely. We'll do, perhaps we exchange details so we can communicate. Let us exchange details and we will communicate. Uh, enjoy your burrito. Actually, would you sign us off? We say enjoy your burrito on the podcast. It's our mantra for saying enjoy your present. Like, don't, don't, you know, um, uh, learn from the past, don't uh, plan for the future, but live in the present. Mm. So we say, enjoy your burrito, enjoy your thing as it's happening. Would you sign us off, please? Yes, this is Russell Brand saying, sincerely, and from every single chakra I have access to, enjoy your burrito. The end. <laughs> Fantastic. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.